0: This world can be a challenge when systems we live in do not support how we show up based on race and gender identity how can therapy be effective with gender fluid individuals or individuals who face racism and discrimination what are some cultural perspectives to consider even in the case of how we describe trauma how can we build systems thinking into cognitive behavioral therapy welcome to people of color in psychology the show that explores mental health topics specific to culture, diversity, and communities of color. I am your host, Jack Zen. We have Dr. Wilson as our guest today. She is a licensed psychologist working in private practice and the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Dr. Wilson specializes in working with clients of color, LGBTQ+, transgender women, and individuals who are gender fluid. Dr. Wilson also has a specialty focus on issues of masculinity within the Black community. In the implementation of her therapy interventions, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, and solution-focused treatment, Dr. Wilson operates from a multicultural, trauma-informed perspective. As a biracial Black and Chicana psychologist, Dr. Wilson will be sharing her deep knowledge in working with marginalized populations, those who navigate various intersectionalities, such as being a person of color, spectrum of masculinity, and LGBTQ plus identities. Dr. Wilson, thank you for joining me today.
1: Of course, happy to be here.
0: How did you get into this work?
1: Sure. It's kind of a long story, but I'll try to keep it a little bit short. Growing up, both of my parents worked in some element of mental health care. It was generally as support staff, but they would come home and talk about their day, and it just really piqued my curiosity. So I really enjoy working with children, and I decided to look more closely into work that combined the mental health aspect, but also being an advocate for kids, that if I went into college and I got my bachelor's degree, it wouldn't be all that lucrative. So I decided to pursue my doctorate where I specialized in child and adolescent psychology. I worked primarily in uh, residential settings and also with incarcerated youth. A friend of mine eventually encouraged me to apply for the Bureau of Prisons. And in my work there, I found that that environment really matched my personality and clinical style pretty well. I think another added element is that my current job in the BOP, it's, there is a large population of gender non-conforming transgender and LGBT inmates. So it adds a unique challenge working with them in a prison setting just because those environments typically have more hyper-masculine cultures. So from child and adolescent to, to prison, that's where I am now.
0: You already had early exposure to mental health role models, your parents. You also mentioned the current environment is consistent with your work style and your personality. Can mm-hmm. you say a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. So in my approach to treatment, I can say both in times when I have been in therapy and then also in the ways that I interact with clients, I try to tune into that aspect of holding people accountable because treatment really is a two-way street. And so It's not just, oh, what can the therapist provide, but what am I willing to do to better myself? And so I really try to hold clients accountable in the ways that they are saying, like, these are my goals and I wanna meet them. In a prison environment, so much of that recidivism piece is like getting them to recognize and foster insight into what led them to coming to prison, but also, holding them accountable and saying like, okay, this is where you went wrong. This is how we can move forward. And now it's on you to do that part. So there's like, I'll say some, like how people describe hard or tough love. That's kind of my approach when it comes to working in a prison environment, but like that therapeutic kind of tough love.
0: In addition to this therapeutic tough love, I can tell that you're really interested in this population you have a lot of empathy for them and something that is very unique and likely most of us don't know about because when we think about prison the the myth is you have a a male sort of identity and a female identity you mentioned gender fluid identity can you elaborate more about this particular population
1: yeah so in Well, it's not just specific to prison, obviously, but I do, I've seen it both in my private practice and in the prison setting. But the way that it shows up, I think, is a little more challenging in prison because of that hyper-masculine culture that they have. So maybe somebody chooses to present as a little more feminine one day, a little more in a stereotypical masculine way on another day. And so there's a lot of stigma that goes with that, a lot of uncertainty and people not fully understanding and therefore being a little more cruel to these individuals or just, just unaccepting in different ways. So having to navigate that along with like self-esteem issues, along with, you know, finding that internal power and assertiveness when it comes to setting boundaries, all of those things go into that gender fluidity and the expression of that identity.
0: What are some of the common struggles that you've noticed?
1: one of the biggest things is how to assert boundaries because a lot of times there are even family members who are not accepting of various identities and so how to set those boundaries and still say i feel comfortable with who i am and this is how i choose to show up in the world but also fostering additional insight into like what else makes me who i am because this Sexual orientation or gender expression is a part of me, but it's not my entire being. So, helping the individual see what else am I bringing to the table? What else can I connect with people on? And how to enter those conversations and make deeper connections with people.
0: So, really broadening your identity.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm also curious just because of the political climate or just a lot of pressures. I mean, you know policies, and just how even the justice system can be unequal. There's a lot of discrimination. There's a lot of just racist policies. How do you navigate that as a psychologist and working with these clients? And any tips for mental health professionals who are working with LGBTQ plus clients, also people of color? and understanding the the challenges that they're faced with.
1: So the question is, how do I navigate all of that in like the political climate?
0: Yeah, what are some of the things you do? And I'm thinking about therapist competency. Um, you know, yeah, just helping therapists learn, oh, how do I develop certain skills to work with this population?
1: A big piece of it for me is consultation, but also like, understanding what are the different identities that I bring to the table, because I believe that that really does contribute to how therapy plays out in the room. So insight into, you know, what's going on for me internally really helps to better understand, I think, what's happening for the client. And so when I'm consulting, I can talk about like, this is some of the counter transference that I'm experiencing with this particular client. And then also as a minority, like, I have my own personal opinions about the political climate and stuff. And if I'm speaking specifically about prison, it's not always appropriate to process all of my political things with the client and saying like, like, yes, it's cool to align with the client in some ways, but there is a different boundary when it comes to working with inmates. And so, no, it's not always appropriate to have those personal discussions. So that consultation piece is really important as well, but doing the research and then hearing about the client's personal experiences and how do those two things come together. So for me, I have found that really going back to childhood and I'm able to do this more in my private practice, but I'm seeing how did those like cultural dynamics and other systems like religion, just like in your current career, all of those kinds of things, how are they coming together to create this picture of a person that I'm able to see today, and it helps me have a clearer picture of what or how they view the world. And so with that, I'm able to help them navigate the various systems they're a part of more effectively.
0: Yeah. And and prior to our recording, you mentioned one of the major tips is helping therapists understand the impact of systems. Mm -hmm. Can you give me examples of what that might look like and what might be required for a therapist to engage in that systems thinking?
1: Sure. Again, I think like looking at what kinds of systems are at play in your own life. So then you can understand like, what do I even need to start looking for? And we can do all of the research that we want, but research tends to come a lot of research i'll say tends to come from a somewhat removed perspective so if i'm able to personalize it i can see like okay this is how I view religion. And if I'm a person who's also a sexual minority, what does my religion say about my sexual identity? And what does my culture say about my sexual identity? What does my culture say about my race and how I relate to other races? What about like my career choice? Is my family accepting of that? Is my workplace accepting of how I show up every day. So all of these systems, I mean, some of them can be accepting of who I am and how I show up. Some of them can be like out deliberately unaccepting of those things. And so how do I navigate all of that I think is is crucial to understand, but looking at these various systems? How much time does the person spend within each part of that specific system on a daily or weekly basis? If the majority of their life is spent with people who are accepting of their various identities, it's probably not creating so much of a functional impairment in their life. But if I am constantly bombarded by people who say, how I show up in the world is unacceptable, then I need to look deeper at those systems and like how I can more effectively navigate them.
0: And what happens if let's say you're in the system that isn't supportive of your your racial gender identity? You know, it's like the system wants us to change uh, or wants the individual to change, but not realizing that that may not actually be the best for the client. And then of course it's hard to change the system. Do you have any thoughts to how some of your clients have successfully navigated or interacted with that dilemma?
1: Yeah, so we are very social beings, like inherently, yes, we have people who fall in the spectrum of like being an introvert or an extrovert. But being able to connect with people, I think, is really integral to helping us feel supported in this world and so for clients who are having to navigate those things i think it goes back to making like really quality connections. Who am I as an individual? What's important to me? Like if I can identify two things that are really important and then I'm able to see like, oh, there's another person over here who can connect with me on this. I feel like I have an ally in the world and I'm not in this all by myself. So if I can go through this with one person and then also I have a therapist who kind of helps to guide me and see things more objectively, it's, I feel a little more prepared to be successful in those areas.
0: Mm So in many ways, you're not alone in this world. You're, you have the support of others. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I am really curious about too is uh, your background. You identify as Black and Chicana. Can you maybe just share with me how that may influence the way you experience your career development? Just share with me maybe some of the challenges that you've overcame.
1: Mm-hmm. I can. So I have the majority of my life been one of the only people of color in like school, in the workplace. I grew up in a really rural area. When I finally went to college and then graduate school, I was exposed to more like feminist and womanist perspectives that helped me to feel secure in my identity as a biracial individual. And being the only or one of a very few minorities in different circles has caused me to really be more intentional about like mentorship, like being a staff psychologist right now. One of the things that is that I love doing is mentoring students. Um, we've got practicum students that come and train with us. And I really try to create as much diversity as possible when it comes to who we accept into the program. And that doesn't have to just be on a a racial aspect necessarily. But I do think that representation is so important. And when it comes to our work clinically, yes, there are people who, feel more comfortable with somebody who looks like them, though that's not always the case. And I think that if I can help to bring additional clinicians into the field or just mentor them along the way who happen to be people of color, then that is something that is really, really important for me.
0: For you, it's also very energizing to support the younger generation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what motivated you to keep going? since there actually wasn't a lot of representation
1: because i saw and this goes back to the question i didn't answer just now you had asked about challenges but in a lot of the work that i was doing initially with children and adolescents and then i went to residential and prison settings i saw an overrepresentation of minorities and in a lot of those areas i was witnessing injustices within that you know, specific setting, whether it was residential, whether it was a prison environment where it was very obvious that people of color, inmates of color were being treated very differently from the white majority. And so for me, I am a very assertive person. I tend to be more outspoken when it comes to those types of injustices. And so speaking up for these individuals and really trying to be an advocate to make sure that at the very least they get what they have coming to them and they receive quality mental health treatment. It has been a challenge, but at the same time, it's been something that has kept me going because I feel like my job isn't to be liked. My job is to really help these people get get to the self-improvement they really want and to provide that holistic quality care that is important for me and them but if i'm doing that and they're able to receive those kinds of holistic services i feel like maybe temporarily or permanently being disliked is worth it so i have had some backlash in different settings and i will say prison specifically because it is a system that is very I'll say bureaucratic. And I'm not just talking about the federal system. I'm talking about state as well because I worked in that environment too. And it's hard to go against the grain and to be a person who is like, this is not right. Just because we've been doing it for hundreds of years doesn't make it okay. And what's been, I think, most effective for me in those areas is really focusing on being intentional in the relationships I form with staff. One thing my dad told me growing up and I don't know why this quote is stuck in my head, but he said, spending quality time with your children makes them more apt to listen to you when you have to speak direction or correction over them. And um, he was really great about doing that with us. And it always stuck with me and it rings true in multiple areas I find myself in. And if I'm going back to the prison environment, not that I view my colleagues and fellow staff members as my kids, but it's so important to form those foundational relationships with them because there will become there will come a time when I have to go against the grain or give them some type of feedback that is unpleasant. And if they can say, well, I know she's coming from a place of of care and I know that she's not, you know, trying to throw me under the bus or anything, they're more likely to hear the message I'm trying to send or ask questions if they are confused or they can verbalize their disagreement with me because we can rely on that foundational relationship. But I feel like all of that has helped me to be more effective in that advocate role.
0: Mm -hmm. Really fostering the relationship to help make sure that the clients that you're working with are supported, that their needs are also heard. Yes. Also using the the trust of the relationship that you have with your colleagues, so that y'all can address any disagreements or conflicts.
1: Yeah, because it's bound yeah. to happen that we yeah. will not see eye to eye on things. But I want them to be able to tell me like that doesn't make sense, or help me understand this, or you know I just don't agree with you, but we can have an open dialogue about it and maybe find a middle ground. But yeah, I think those relationships are integral.
0: The other part that I'm wondering about is when you're thinking about cognitive behavioral therapy, how might you adjust that or make it so that it's more culturally informed? Because oftentimes, you know, we think about, oh, here's the antecedent, here's the belief, challenge statement, Mm -hmm. um, here's your negative core belief, so on and so on. In what way do you use cognitive behavioral therapy so that it is culturally adaptive so
1: like you're talking about the negative core beliefs and um the way that we perceive a lot of situations has so much to do with our previous experiences that likely confirmed what our core belief is and so um spending a little more time dissecting that like yeah i want to look at what evidence you currently have to support that but also What are the formative experiences that led up to you believing this specific interpretation of the event? So maybe that comes from, oh, well, when I was a kid, I had an aunt who said XYZ, or I had a family member who did this, and that really shaped how I view. ABC. Looking beyond just the current situation, going back to those formative experiences and trying to really dissect that core belief and figuring out like, well, what does my culture say about this or my upbringing? Or again, going back to the different systems, right? If I'm looking at things from a very religious perspective, that might inform how I perceive a certain situation. So really getting to the core of those beliefs, I think is important.
0: And do you address any changes in the systems of belief so for example uh what does religion say or how might it influence my core belief how have my parents how what sort of value systems have they instilled in me that influenced this core belief mm-hmm. what happens if let's say my core belief is changing over time and we recognize that it's influenced from a negative standpoint so for instance i mean just racism I mean yeah it exists so you know yeah so it exists so what do you do if you know someone has this negative core belief that says well I can't quite trust the world I can't quite trust people of authority I mean there are some really good reasons for that Mm -hmm. and and so how do you work with that
1: Yeah. And I think that also can be a challenge because again, I have my own personal beliefs about racism. And so if I have a client who has experienced it, and let's say they have what they have maybe an ambiguous interaction with an individual who is white, but they're perceiving that interaction as racist. Yes, I'm going to ask about the evidence around that event that they have to support it. But then looking at like, Because a lot of times when people have experienced racism, it's easy to see things through that very negative filter of like everything is racist or everyone is racist and that's why I feel this way. And so helping them to see or to remember other situations that weren't racist. Do you have white friends who don't treat you this way? Have you interacted with white strangers in the past week who were not racist to you? What was it about this very specific situation And that's not to say like oh if i unpack this then i can stop seeing people as racist because you're absolutely right it does exist and so if the situation turns out to have actually been a racist one then the question is like okay how do i advocate for myself in that situation is it safe to do so how do i set boundaries around my feelings my time my energy all of that so that i can not necessarily experience so much racism, but it's hard because that's not really something that you can control. You can't control what other people say and do in response to how you show up in the world. So um, just helping them to kind of feel more confident in setting those boundaries and also uh, more comfortable in processing their reactions to it. Like there's no right or wrong way to feel when it comes to experiences of racism. But I do want to hear everything you're thinking about it because it helps me to figure out like, where do we need to go from here?
0: I love that you're hitting this nuance of cognitive behavioral therapy and making it culturally sensitive and aware because oftentimes there is this push towards, let's understand the negative core belief. Let's try to change it. We know it's hard to change it. Mm -hmm. what happens if we can't change it right now what yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah there are times when you when you can't or maybe shouldn't because it's a protective factor right if i say oh well that wasn't racist and all these other experiences i've had weren't racist i'm seeing things with these rose-colored glasses but that's not completely realistic so if i you know say yes there are racist experiences However, not every single situation is gonna be racist. Um, I'm still able to protect myself, but also I'm not avoiding every situation or refusing to acknowledge the reality of every situation.
0: So you've talked about your work in the, uh, the prison system. Can you share with us your specialty focus in your private practice?
1: When I initially started my private practice, I had gone into it with the hope of having more clients who are men and are struggling with various issues of masculinity. But it has really surprised me because like on my website and I believe on Psychology Today as well, I have a part about you know the majority of my work currently is with men, transgender women, and people who identify among the LGBT spectrum. And so that has been what I've seen a lot of in addition to, like, I'll say 98% of my clients are people of color. And so I have been really surprised at how many of those individuals identify as a sexual or gender minority. And it really has, for me, highlighted what I think is like a lack of maybe representation or quality care. Also, I'm in Texas right now. That's where I live. And we don't, we, it's a very conservative state, state that is not that supportive of, you know, various sexual identities and gender identities. So I think it's just really been a pleasant surprise to work with this specific population. And so unintentionally, it's become my primary area of focus. Mm -hmm. A very rewarding one, I will add at that.
0: I can see that you're, you're excited just being surprised actually by the clients that are attracted to your work mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, speaking of surprises thinking about just where you're at your goals your accomplishments were there any surprises
1: yes because so i have a friend who is a professor in florida and you know just periodically we'll have random conversations about what we're doing in our day jobs and stuff like that. And he has asked me to to help on a number of projects that really highlight uh, LGBTQ youth and um, adults in various systems. So most recently we authored a textbook that's going to be distributed in different college and graduate programs. And so that, had, that was never something that I went into it expecting that like the work I'm doing is rewarding for me individually it's impactful from the you know what my clients tell me like i really appreciate this it's helping me xyz but also that my colleagues are like this is a person i can go to to better understand these things and to get the word out there about how to better best help these clients so that's been a nice surprise
0: yeah it never occurred to you that you'd be doing this type of work and in many ways advocating
1: right i i expected to be an advocate for marginalized groups um but i thought that that advocacy would be geared more towards just the racial minorities mm. um because in school i don't well we did have an lgbt track so you could um specialize in that like i did with child and adolescents but i i didn't specialize in lgbt treatment it's just been something that i've gained a lot more competence in along the way through exposure to these individuals. And I'll also say, I have my own experience as sexual or yeah, sexual minority. And so bringing all of that to the table and thinking about like, what are the areas where treatment clinically is lacking, you know, like, what did I need to see? What does this particular person need to see all of that? And then thinking about the literature, because again, the literature presents a very objective perspective. And so getting to know the core of those individuals and how to provide that holistic treatment is really, really important.
0: Well, Dr. Wilson, is there any other tips you'd like to offer for our listeners and any other final thoughts?
1: the only thing that i will add is that so a lot of people who are in these marginalized communities have experiences of trauma as well and and that can be you know it can show up in a number of ways we have natural disasters racial trauma uh, sexual trauma like the list goes on and on and one thing that i found very early in my career was that if i simply ask somebody do you have any experiences of trauma a lot of times they'll say no. And so I think there is a misunderstanding of that word. And then also our current culture, like social media and all that has almost trivialized it. Like, oh, that was so traumatic for me. And it I don't think it's fully understood. So when I rephrase those kind of intake questions, like was there ever a really difficult situation for you that you had a hard time getting over? And I might give a a couple of just general examples, like anything like this, this or this. And we have the ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences, which is great to assess for trauma, but ACEs don't assess for racialized traumas or other systemic traumas. And so getting to the bottom of that, helping the client understand that trauma is more than just, you know, physical, verbal, or sexual abuse and normalizing that I think especially for communities of color because like being biracial I can say that it's on both the the Mexican side and the black side that they don't they don't fully understand or maybe accept uh those kinds of things Is just like well you just need to pray about it or don't be a baby about that you know we're just gonna get over it and then if there is a trauma you're not gonna talk about it in therapy because we need to keep family business private you know so there's a lot of secrecy around that and I think really normalizing and encouraging that person to speak about whatever difficult experiences they've had really helps them to I think feel more comfortable but helps them also to kind of put trauma in perspective. Like maybe they don't feel comfortable using that word at all. And so thinking about that when you come into this kind of treatment, especially with marginalized populations, what kinds of traumas have they experienced and how has their cultural upbringing played into that?
0: Wow, wow. This really, I love that you're thinking about trauma from different layers you're not just talking about the word itself. What does it mean for the person? Do they even feel comfortable using that word? Uh, It's also not just interpersonal trauma, it's system trauma, also exposure. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
1: I think our language is really important. And sometimes as psychologists, we can get maybe more familiar with the technical terms and forget that like, Maybe these people are new to therapy and they haven't heard these terms before. So it's easier to just say no than to maybe be embarrassed and say, I don't know what that means.
0: Well, Dr. Wilson, this has been very insightful. I really do want to thank you very much for your time today.
1: Of course. Again, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. And where can listeners find you?
1: So I am online. I have a website that is www holistic-purpose.com and I'm also on psychology today under holistic purpose uh, PLLC.
0: All right. Well, I will be sure to link that in the show notes again. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Of course. Thank you.
0: A huge thank you to our listeners. If you like what you've heard, Please share and subscribe to our podcast, People of Color in Psychology.